Thank you, guys. This is beautiful. You know, the, the Jews have a special way to say yes, and it's just amen. <laughs> so I'll just say amen. <laughs> okay. Um, it's uh, my pleasure now to introduce the speaker for this morning. Um, if, uh, if you've been here for a couple of months, you've heard of Dave. I think the only uh, entity that I mention more than Dave in my sermons is my dog. No offense, Dave. Um, I could do a 30-minute uh, sermon-length introduction of Dave, but instead I'll just say this. At just the right time, about 10 years ago, um, God brought Dave into my life, and it was a crucial time for me. And um, yes, this is the man that I went up to and unashamedly said, will you be my friend? And uh, for some unknown reason, he said yes. And uh, we've been friends for 10 years. I can't think of a Sunday, maybe one or two, in the last six or seven years that Dave hasn't uh, emailed me, texted me, called me, or all three to bring encouragement my way. And so uh, it's my pleasure to bring Dave Knoll up. Let me say a few more nice things about you. <laughs> uh, not, not only is Dave my personal friend, but uh, Dave uh, is the um, director of the Indianapolis School of Supernatural Ministry. Um, you can clap for that. We have had four or five of our vineyard people go through ISSM. We've got another four or five thinking about it. He's adding a second year to it. ISSM started uh, two or three, three years ago. Is that right? Uh, started with seven students and then 11, and they just graduated 34, 32, 32 students um, from, uh, from ISSM. It's a, um, it's a curriculum based on the uh, Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, but very much uh, dialed in through Dave's personality and in our context in Indianapolis. So it's uh, two campuses, north and south, two nights a week, and every other Saturday, if you're interested, Dave will be here and so happy to sign you up. And I really cannot think of many things uh, that you can invest in um, that would more... Um, more seriously get you into contact with the presence of God and understanding who you are so that you can walk in your calling in the world than going through Indianapolis School of Supernatural Ministry. So uh, I wholeheartedly endorse it. And Dave, um, it doesn't mean I believe everything he's about to say because who knows what's going to happen next. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Come on up, Dave. I'll pray for you. Father, we uh, thank you for Dave. Thank you for his gifting. I thank you, God, for his friendship and for the way that he sows into the kingdom of God wherever he goes. And I ask now for your blessing upon him, the filling of your Holy Spirit. You'd release through him the word that you have for us this morning. You would pierce our hearts and change us into the joyful and powerful image of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Randy. Well, I'm really glad that Randy asked to be my friend because it's a two-way street. And uh, he's one of those people that um, I feel like I, when I'm around him, I feel like a superhero. And I think he, a lot of people have that experience, uh, Randy. Um, and uh, I'm just very, really grateful. Sat around their table and eaten pita bread and made dumb puns about Peter Rabbit and <laughs> Peter the Great. <laughs> Don't get me started. I got myself started. Okay. This is the magic timer of death. It tells me when to quit. So it's because sometimes I don't know when to. <laughs> well, I'm really excited about being here. It's just uh, thrilled to uh, share with you guys. And I, I told Randy I was laying in bed last night. I couldn't sleep. 
First of all, because the Pacers won, and second, <laughs> can you feel me, anybody out there? It's sports fans. But then, just laying there thinking about coming and sharing with you today, feeling like the, the weightiness uh, uh, that this is going to be a consequential time for us together and for your congregation. I love the vineyard and love this church. I've been know, knowing this church ever since the 80s and interacted with leadership all the way through, but Randy has been a very special friend uh, to me, and um, I thank him for that. So uh, I just want to share a message entitled Secure ID, and I'll tell you where it came from. Um, Last year in our School of Supernatural Ministry, um, it was during that time, I had a dream, and in this dream, speaking of sports, I was in, a, in an arena where there was a sports event going on. I don't know what kind it was, but I was sitting way up in the arena, and way down below, there was some kind of game going on. And um, I knew that the home team was way ahead. I mean, the outcome was not in doubt in any way, shape, or form. The game was, uh, for all intents and purposes, over. And uh, so I was just waiting for the, the final buzzer to sound, and I was looking around at the top of the arena. I saw a man who was dressed in some kind of a costume, and he, he came through the, the door at the top of the arena, and uh, he made his way down to the, the, the top row, and there were a number of women's purses <laughs> sitting on those seats unattended. And he was pretending to put little pieces of candy in the women's purses, but what he was actually doing was he was taking their billfolds out, tossing them down the steps to retrieve later. And I, I somehow, you know how in dreams you know stuff. I, I knew exactly what he was doing. I saw what he was doing. He was pretending to work for the franchise, but he would, in actuality he was stealing. And so um, I started yelling, security, security, at the top of my lungs. And just then, a man in a suit came out that same door that the, that the other man came out of. And I said, that man, right there. And I started to describe exactly what he was doing. And the security guy went over, checked out my story, found that the guy was really doing what I said he was doing. And he cuffed him and led him away. And then the next thing in the dream was, the game was over. We were filing out. And the security man walked past me. He didn't say anything, but our eyes met. And it was kind of a knowing look. And uh, we nodded at each other. And I said, you know, I never would have noticed what that guy was doing if the game weren't already over by that time. Of course, I thought it was uh, rich in symbolism. But I, I learned in dream interpretation to ask myself certain questions. Like if you dream about a horse and you ask yourself, why a horse and not a cow? If you dream about Los Angeles, why Los Angeles and not New Orleans? And so I had to ask myself, why did I say security, security instead of police, which I think is what I normally do. And uh, I started playing around with it in my mind, and I was thinking about the women's purses, and I was thinking about their billfolds in which there are pieces of identification, and I thought about secure it secure it secure id and i felt like that was the message to me from from the lord secure id these 
these purses had been left unattended. In other words, metaphorically, people's identities had been separated from them, either through neglect or for whatever reason. And a thief had come along to permanently take their identities away. And I felt myself in the role of being a person to point that out and to nail the enemy on, on what he was doing and to stop him in his tracks and cause people to come to uh, a place where they would protect their identities. Well, I share that with, with our class. Um, it was in the fall of the year before last. And uh, about five days later, we were in class on a Saturday, and we were preparing to go to Panera for lunch. And uh, just as we were getting, getting ready to go to lunch, one of our female students gasped out loud, realizing that her billfold had been stolen out of her purse like the day before when she had gone to apply for credit and she had her original birth certificate, her social security card, all the pertinent uh, uh, IDs, and, and uh, they were inside of her wallet and it was gone. Now, that is too weird. I had a dream about it and about three days later it happened in real life to one of our students. And so it was, you know, it's, you know how, if you've had that happen, it's a, it's a very distressing thing. Well, she went about the, the business of uh, doing what you do when that kind of thing happens. And, uh, and we talked about it again in class and just talked about it being a metaphor again, but also, you know, praying for the restoration of everything that she had lost. And then along came, that was in about November, in March, the following March, our student, her name is Ruth, was walking through her apartment in her, in her bedroom and looked on the floor and there was a golden envelope that she didn't know how it got there. She bent over and picked it up and looked inside and what was in it, her original birth certificate and her social security card. Now she, she texts me this really excited and I said, and of course, you have a little faith. I just said, well, was it near the front door? Did some, could have somebody slid it under a roommate? She said, I don't, no, it's in my bedroom away from the front door and I don't have a roommate. It was just sitting in the middle of the floor. And again, I thought it was an amazing metaphor and a prophetic declaration that if you get your identity stolen, you can get it back yeah. supernaturally. And that's, that's the message. So, okay, you can go home now. <laughs> But uh, what I want to say, I want to say th three things about this, about securing our ID. First of all, if you know who you are, then you can know what you have. And if you know what you have, you can know what you have to give away. And if you know what you have to give away, you have discovered your life's purpose. Now you can go home. <laughs> There's a Chinese proverb that says, uh, the beginning of wisdom is to call a thing by its right name. And what happens to human beings is that the enemy of our souls tries to give us aliases that we live by. And sometimes, unfortunately, we cooperate with him. And we give ourselves aliases, like stupid or, or no good for anything, or what, whatever it is. And... The problem with that is that as a man thinks in his heart, as a woman thinks in her heart, right? So is he or she. 
And so if he can get us to think wrongly about our sense of identity, about who we are at the core of ourselves, then we will behave out of who we think we are. Because there is a truth that God and the devil are both asking the same question of us. Who do you think you are? And the answer to that question will determine our direction and our destiny in life. So I think it's just critical. And I, I had this vision. It, I think it, 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 it works in symphony with what Randy saw, over the, the question marks over people's head. But I had this vision in pre-service prayer, and it was like there was this wall, but it was uh, transparent, kind of like the wall between racquetball courts. You know, you can see right through, you can see everything. There's a wall here, and over here is the knowledge of God, and over here is the experience of God. And this wall has been erected by the enemy so that we can see through the wall and we can see the things of God and the kingdom of God and what's available from God, but the wall is there to keep us from ever experiencing it or to lie to us and tell us that that stuff is not for us and we can't have it. And this process, I feel like God is after knocking that wall down in our lives so that we can take what's over there and bring it into our experience. Because I think one of the, the definitions of dead religion is a bunch of knowledge of God that has no effect on our heart or in our experience. So, I think he's going to knock that wall down. And I think it's about encounter, actually. I don't think it's, it's about head knowledge. Because if we have head knowledge, but we have not encountered him in a deep place in our hearts, then the head knowledge does us no good. It just makes us more religious. Selah. <laughs> so first of all, we've got to know who we are. And uh, as Randy and I talked this week, we were very excited about this message. I hope you are too. Um, he said, you know, I don't think our people need the 22 things out of Ephesians that tell us who we are. What we need is an encounter. I'm paraphrasing you now. Is that all right? But what we need is an encounter with God that makes that real to our hearts so that at the cellular level, we live out of a deep knowing of who we are, not out of, of, an, of a just a factual understanding. And the good news is, is that God wants to know, us to know that more than we want to know that. Uh, Exodus chapter 3. This, this uh, jumped out at me this morning. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, God says to Moses. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So 
that has an, has an obvious meaning. But I think that we can extrapolate from this that the, the God in whose image we are made knows who he is, right? And he says, you know, it's just enough, Moses, for right now, for you just to say, I am who I am. Just tell him the I am sent you. But we who are made in his image should be able to say, I am fill in the blank. And we should have a conviction about who we are. I think there's some wrong thinking in the body of Christ, generally, not here, but generally, that says, that says um, it's not really important who you are because it's, it's really important who, who God is and you are a shell and you just, God just pours into you as his shell and you walk around just for the shell of it. I, I never, I, I knew I was going to say that. I told myself not to and I... You know what I'm talking about? It's like I was getting ready to speak at a conference. I knew I was the second choice. The first speaker couldn't couldn't come. It was great. So I already felt insecure. It was a ski trip. It was youth from all over the the region. They were coming to Colorado to ski and hear this awesome speaker. And, and, And I'm feeling horribly nervous about this. I had three weeks to prepare. I didn't really know what I was doing. And in pre-service prayer, this well-meaning young man who was a staff person of some kind said, just, he said, just remember, brother, you're just a spoon. <laughs> yeah. that's, thank you. That encouraged me. Because <laughs> I was feeling like a dipstick, and that's, that's an upgrade, you know. Can't eat with a dipstick. <laughs> Not very easily, anyway. You know, so there's this thinking in, in the body of Christ that crucify yourself. And, you know, everything inside of yourself, your thoughts, your desires, your will, your dreams, everything, your aspirations, anything that makes you feel good <laughs> is suspect. And you should crucify that thing. Jesus came to crucify something, all right. He came to crucify sin so that he could salvage you. Ooh, that was good. He came to crucify sin so that he could salvage you. Because he saw something in you worth dying for. I want to just say that insecurity is a life-sucking force. It sucks the life out of us. And it sucks the life out of people that we relate to. Because we are trying to gain from them... Well, we don't have, and that's security or a secure ID. I think that false humility is really killing a lot of people in a church. It really is. I mean, there is a true humility, absolutely, a true humility. But false humility is killing us and it's robbing the, the world because we won't allow to pass through us what God wants to get to us because we don't feel worthy of anything at all. And I just have good news. We are not worthy of anything at all. That's all we've been established. That's what grace is about. Like somebody said, if you're doing 
you're doing 80 in a 20 mile per hour zone and a cop pulls you over and doesn't give you a ticket, that's mercy. But if a cop pulls you over and you're doing 80 in a 20 and he gives you a check for $1,000, <laughs> that's grace. All right, so we know we don't deserve it, right? But he gave it anyway. And it's not about our works anyway. So we've been taught to crucify the self to the point that we have crucified the new man as well as the old man. So, and it makes clones out of everybody. So glory to God, brother. Glory to God. <laughs> Have you tried to pay a compliment to somebody who's in that frame of mind? It's, it's very difficult. It comes bouncing right back to you. Glory to God, brother. Well, I, I just want to thank you for what you did. I thought it was cool. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was glorious. Well... He will not give his glory to another. <laughs> that's the point. You're not another. You're bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. You're the body of Christ. There is a dignity that God wants to raise up. Wow. We are the bride of Christ. He's not wanting to marry some self-hating woman. <laughs> Selah, secure ID. So he wants us to know who we are. 21 years ago, I walked into a counselor's office because I had a problem. <laughs> and um, I wasn't expecting the question the counselor asked to begin the session. And, uh, but it was a brilliant question. He said, what do you want? And I, I just don't know why I didn't expect that question, but he just said, what do you want? And without thinking about it, these words came out of my mouth. And that happens to me often, but uh, <laughs> as many times I don't know what I think until I start talking. But uh, out of my mouth came these words. I'd like to know who I am. I was 38 years old. So I had, I, as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I experienced three things. Shock, shame, and relief. Lions, tigers, and bears. I, I was shocked because the, it, came out of, it, but it came out of my heart, out of the abundance of my heart. My mouth spoke. And I, I really was at a place where I didn't have a real clear sense of self. I, I really didn't. I'd spent most of my life trying to be like somebody else. And I grew up in a home that was bilingual, English and sarcasm. So um, we, float, we spoke fluent sarcasm. And uh, sarcasm had, I mean, there's a lighthearted sarcasm that's, that's okay. But, but that, there's, some, there's a really mean-spirited kind of cowardly sarcasm that we can engage in. And I am chief of sinners in that department. I've tried to cut that completely out of my life. It tears people down, and, uh, and, uh, and anyway, I just came, I, that's this pool I swam in growing up, and uh, I didn't know who I was. And I was ashamed, I was shocked because I said that, and then I was ashamed because it was like, you're 38 years old, you're in the ministry, you should know who you are. You know, the shoulds and oughts of, of religion 
can really prevent us from entering into life because the shoulds and oughts don't, do any, don't empower us. They just throw some more shame on top of us. But then I was relieved because I thought, ah, that's true. This is a good starting point. I need to know who I am. And I received some great help in that counselor's office, and God has mercifully moved in my life and through a number of defining moments in my life has added to my understanding of who I truly am and who I was created to be. Because the truth of the matter is that God doesn't want to crucify your new man. He wants to maximize it. He wants to make Mary Lou the very best version of Mary Lou she can be. <laughs> She's all for that. <laughs> he wants to make you the very best version of you that you can be. So, I'm checking my timer here. Eight minutes till we land. <laughs> Please put your tray tables up in an upright and locked position. So, second point is you got to know who you are so that you can know what you have. We've got to be connected to this father to know what we have. We know the story of the prodigal father, the prodigal father, the extravagant father. You know, the older brother said, what's this with the party? And, and the father's response is, you could, all that I had was yours. You could have had this. He didn't know. You know, it's possible to have to be rich and not know it. I think that's a point of the story, one of the points of that story. It happened to Adam in the garden. Oh, the enemy goes, Ew, God knows that the day that you eat, you're going to be like him. And the dirty little secret was, not really a secret, Adam was already like God. Gloriously like God. And so he tried to get him to, by performance to obtain something that he already had by birthright. Sometimes we just don't know what I have. One time I was teaching uh, uh, piano lessons to uh, children, and I was heading off to a piano lesson in uh, Zionsville. And I was running a little late, and I, so I just grabbed up all my the stuff, you know, and, and went out the door. I was really in a hurry, and wanted to be on time, and I got in the car, and I was thinking, maybe I should check now and make sure I have everything as I'm driving away. You know, music book, check. Cell phone, check. Cereal box, check. <laughs> uh, I, in my haste to leave, I grabbed up a box of cereal <laughs> off the table because it was there with everything else. <laughs> and, you know, it's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. So I kind of went cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs there, but um, I didn't even know what I had. Some of us are wandering around. We don't know what we have. But we can know what we have if we know, begin to find out who we are. It's who we are is connected to the heart of the Father. We've been placed in a family where abundance is normal. Generosity is normal. Goodness and kindness are normal. So, you've got to know what we have. Peter and John go to the temple. I'm not going to read the whole passage. You know, it's the third hour, blah, blah, blah. This man says, uh, you know, heal me. 
Basically, he had been lame from birth. He didn't say heal me, but he was looking for money, actually. And Peter says, silver and gold have I, but such as I, give I thee, such as I have. I call this the law of possession. You can't give away what you don't have. But what, what they had was a healing. And because they knew they had it to give, they could give it. You get it? You got to know what you have in order to be able to give it away. And there's a lot of ways to discover what you have. But I just got to tell you, you not only have the general blessing of God and all things pertaining to life and godliness, but you individually, you are uniquely qualified to give something to the world in a way that nobody else can. You're uniquely qualified by God. And he wants you to know that. And he wants you to have confidence in that. It's not just that you can give away what you have. It's that you can give away what you know you have. I meet lots of believers. And, I, and happily in our school, we, we, one of my jobs that I love to do is to point out to people what they have. And say, you are awesome at X. Really? You think so? Yes. How many of you know that, that we're the last people to know sometimes what we're good at? And it takes other voices speaking into our lives, reflecting back to us what they see in us that's good, calling out the gold inside of us so that we can know what we have. Gots to know what we have. A lot of ways that that can happen through prophetic ministry and through encouragement and just, just having friends that, that talk to you honestly about your gifts and talents and abilities. Somebody should do that with the people on American Idol. You know the ones that can't sing a lick? They're so angry when they get kicked off the show. And, I, and my first thought is, don't they have any friends? I mean, real friends. You know, a true friend will stab you in the front. But you've got to have a friend who not only can tell you what you're not good at, but to tell you what you are really good at and encourage you along the way. Oh, man, I love the stories when people start to discover that they're really somebody, that they're not just a shell that Jesus fills, but they're a living, breathing human being, unique and uniquely qualified to touch the world in a particular way or ways. It's awesome. It's, it's amazing. Last point is, when you know what you have to give away, then you'll, you'll begin to tap into your life's purpose. So when you think about it, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave. God saves us so that we can be like him so that we can become givers. We've done some uh, premarital counseling in the last uh, few uh, months, two different couples and uh, beautiful couples. And one of the things that we said in premarital counseling is you're not ready to get married until you're ready to be a giver. And being married to God is, is like that too. 
It's, it's, it's when he starts to disciple us and draw us into his heart, then we get drawn into the stream of generosity that says, I am here to bless somebody's life. The father of our faith, Abraham, was called and said, Abraham, I'm blessing you to be a blessing. And the coolest thing is you get to keep everything you give away. It's true. We hoard. <laughs> it, gets, it, it, it just goes away. It's like sand through our hands. But if we give, wow. There's no end to the supply. It's an inexhaustible supply. God so loved that he gave. It's not just knowing that you're a son or a daughter, but knowing what you're uniquely qualified to bring to the world. When you know, start to know what you have, know if, if it's encouragement, or if, it's, if you're gifted at making money, or if you're gifted at administration, or you're gifted at any number of things, then that gives you a clue as to what you have to give away. And here's the principle. Jesus, when he sent the disciples out, said, you go out there and you preach the kingdom and you, you, you heal the sick. Now that has an obvious literal meaning. But I, what I like to tell our students is go into the world and find something that's sick and heal it. Heal whatever is sick. If it's poverty, Heal that. If it's relational poverty, heal that. If it's sickness and disease in the body, heal that. If it's discouragement and depression, heal that. God has called us to be healers in the world, to heal whatever is sick. And, and everyone sitting in here has something inside of you that will heal somebody else. Right now. Just right now. You do. And so we, we teach our students to go out with their, their radar on, scanning, 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 to take into the world and, and find somebody who, ha who has a need or just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and in the moment to share with somebody the power of God to heal them. <coughs> So, I feel like there is a, a spirit of revelation that comes to us not only to reveal Jesus, but in seeing Jesus, we do see ourselves. If we're really seeing him, we look into his eyes, and he starts to tell us who we are, who we really are. When I, I was growing up, I was so self-conscious and was so sure that everybody hated me. Uh, I remember in, as, a, as a grade schooler sitting in class and, and literally, excuse me, but picking a mole off of my hand because I was sure that everybody was looking at it. You know how children can be anyway. They can be very cruel about just anything. They just pick something out about you and go after it. 
And, you know, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean people aren't out to get you. <laughs> Be comforted with these words. <laughs> but no, I, and I look back at that and I thought, man, I, I, you talk about being uncomfortable in my own skin, literally. Just so insecure. And there was a saying that uh, I heard not, not long after I got saved that said, um, if you carve yourself to please everyone, you'll soon whittle yourself away. Well, my timer stopped. <laughs> it stopped at 5.58. I thought, I, I, okay, it's going again. I don't know what happened. Just talk amongst yourselves. Where was I? If you carve yourself to please everybody, you'll soon whittle yourself away. And that's what I had done. That's why at the age of 38, I didn't know what the fat to think about myself. Because I just tried so hard to please, just to, to get affirmation and acclamation, acceptance from other people. And um, there is a thing, there is a place in our hearts that can only have that need met by God himself. And if we put people in that place, they can become an idol to us. And you shall have no other gods before you, before him. And so I had to learn over a process of time how to receive my identity from him and how to be a human being and not just a human doing. Because the thing is, if you start, if you get these steps out of order, know who you are, know what you have, and you know what you have to give away. If you start with, know what you have to give, give away, but you don't have a sense of who you are, you'll start to get your identity from what you do instead of who you are. Being comfortable with who you are. We had a break, um, you know, Christmas break for our school, and I, we have a North and South campus, so I'm you know, busy four nights a week and every other Saturday and with people and, and, you know, just doing the ministry and loving it, you know, just feel like uh, this, all my life has been in preparation for these moments. I'm just in having the time of my life, the best job I've ever had, uh, had the best students ever, including these vineyard folks right here, like Heather, Mary Lou, Steve, I don't know who else is in here right now, but awesome people to, to be with. I had this dream uh, during, during Christmas break, and this, with this, I close. This is what my son would call my first closing. <laughs> He's a preacher's kid. <laughs> anyway, I had this dream, and in the dream, uh, you ever had a dream where you couldn't find your car? Um, anybody had that dream? A few of you. Okay. Well, I, I, I have that dream quite a bit. I didn't hear that, but I'm trusting it's very funny. <laughs> so um, I couldn't find my car. I'm looking up and down these streets. Where did I park it? Where did I park it? I know I got to be somewhere and I can't find it. And then at a certain point in the dream, I'm looking around for my car. And, uh, and I realize I'm driving it. I'm in it. I'm in my car. If you know anything about dreams, a lot of times uh, cars and vehicles represent ministry. They're the vehicle that you use to express and to give away what God has called you to give away. 
And what the Lord was showing me through, through that was that during, during my Christmas break, I was feeling kind of lost because I wasn't doing ministry. But that my family was there. My family from, from Arizona was, was my daughter and, uh, and uh, husband and her two kids were her house, my son and daughter-in-law and their son. They were at our house. And what he was saying to me, Dave, you are in your ministry. Wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> you're in your car. Wherever you are, that's your ministry. Whether you're doing official ministry or whatever it is, you are who you are. You don't take off a hat and put on another one. You just There's no secular and sacred. There's no divine. divine you know what I'm saying. We're just us, wherever we are. So... That, that, that was my closing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, let's pray. Father, I just thank you that uh, you are here to break down the wall that separates knowledge from experience. And that you're breaking into people's hearts all through this room to reveal your love to them, to show them how special they are, how precious they are, and what it is about them that you saw from eternity past that was worth dying for. So we just bless you and thank you for doing that. In Jesus' name.